Thank you guys. That is awesome. It's so fun when we come together each week and the gospel is proclaimed in so many different ways. Hearing these guys play this song and sing these and everything, it's a wonderful gift. So we thank you guys for that every week. Uh, well, welcome. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the church who we are always coming together each week to be reminded of God's love for us and the mission. And I also want to extend a, a welcome to you if you're not a follower in Jesus Christ today. You are welcome here in this place to, to come and to learn about God and to hear about his love for you. So we welcome all of you here today. You, you really are welcome here. And one thing before we jump into my message, my mom is here. Mom, wave at everybody. <laughs> one thing, uh, yesterday would have been my dad's 66th birthday. He passed away a couple years ago. Mom is here with us in this fellowship. She's not with her regular body. So if you guys see her after church, just love her and encourage her today. That would mean a lot to me. I would appreciate that. Uh, well, let's jump into the message. Today, I want to talk to you guys about the ministry of reconciliation. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. In this letter, I'll let you guys get there. This letter was written by Paul. Um, many of you are familiar with Paul, but if you're not, Paul was a man. And this is interesting to know a little bit of his backstory as we read this particular letter. Uh, Paul was a man who at one time in his life absolutely hated Jesus Christ. And he used to actually seek out followers of Jesus Christ. He went door to door looking for followers of Jesus Christ to drag them out and to have them killed. And so this is coming from a man who that was his background until God got a hold of him and saved him and, and, um, and brought him into reconciliation with himself. So just keep that in mind as we read this. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So from this scripture, I want to look at two things today. First of all, Paul is saying it's the ministry of reconciliation. So I want us to understand what is the ministry of reconciliation. I want us to unpack that, to define that, to look at that. To understand that and why we need it. And the second thing I want us to look at is going to be more for the church. Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. He calls us to minister the ministry of reconciliation. And so I want us to see those two things today as we go through this. Um, I give you that roadmap. I learned in law school that a good lawyer always tells you what he's about to tell you. Then he tells you what he came to tell you. And then he told you what he just told you. So there's, there's the roadmap. Telling you what I'm about to tell you, hopefully. So, so Paul says we need to be reconciled to God in this, in this passage here. 
Uh, we, I, we're pretty familiar with this, this idea of reconciliation, right? The word reconciled means to restore to friendship or harmony. The idea of reconciliation is a restoring of something that used to be. The, the way that we can most clearly understand this is through just our own personal human relationships, right? Most of you, all of us are in a relationship of one kind or another, where it just be a friendship or a marriage or something. And whenever you get two human beings in a relationship, spending time close together, there's usually a conflict that's going to happen. There's usually an offense, a name is called, an offense is made, something like that to where there's separation that comes between the two people. Um, and, and usually it's a, at least an emotional separation. You just know things aren't the way they were, right? Something's not right. Something's, it's just not the same. Sometimes there's a physical separation that comes. And in order to be restored, there's got to be reconciliation. There's got to be a time when the two of you, whoever is in the wrong, usually both people are in the wrong, says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? There's got to be an apology. There's got to be forgiveness extended. And through that, we see reconciliation come to what the relationship once was is now restored. So when we think about the ministry of reconciliation, Paul is saying here, you need to be restored to God. Well, if we're really going to understand what Paul is saying here, this ministry of reconciliation, we've got to understand what, what Paul is calling us back to. What is he looking to be restored? And in order to understand what he's looking to be restored, we've got to understand what once was. And to do that, we've got to look at the way God created mankind. What did he create us for? Why did he create, this? Did he create us? And of course, we see that account in the, in the book of Genesis and the creation account. And, and just to kind of give a couple brief things, God created man primarily, God created man for his glory, okay? He created man for the sole purpose to glorify him. That's the, that's the main purpose we see when God creates man. But that's not just glorifying. God created man to be in relationship with him, okay? When God creates Adam and Eve, he sets them in the garden and they are in intimate relationship with God. And this is the way God sets it up. Um, it, it's, a, it's only in this relationship that you're going to realize the fullness and genuineness of what it means to be a human being. It's in connection with God. It's in relationship with God. And so God didn't need Adam and Eve. He didn't need mankind for anything. We know from Acts 17, verses 24 to 25, uh, this it, it says there that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God wasn't lonely. He, wasn't, he had perfect union with himself and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three, three in one. So he didn't need them. Instead, he created them to be an object of his selfless love, to be in relationship with him, and in response to this, to glorify him forever. That's why God created man. And, and the reason he created us, one of the things that you've got to understand about yourself, if you're going to be fulfilled in, in this lifetime, God created you to be fulfilled by himself. Okay? And so many times we get this wrong, and, and, and we go to the things of the world to try and get fulfilled. But the reality is that you have an eternal want within you for the one eternal God, and he's the only one that's going to give you that fulfillment and that satisfaction. I mean, think about this. Think about your own life. Think about your, your own life, right? My brother Christian, we talk about this a lot. We bought houses 
at about the same time, and he and I were doing projects around our houses. And so we get a project done, and we've been talking about it for a while. We've been saving money, setting things aside. We finally get the project done, and almost immediately we turn to the next project. Okay, well, what are you going to do next? And then we get that project done, and okay, well, what are you going to do next? There's never a satisfaction in the things of the world. I mean, think about even we're all going to go eat lunch today at this time, after, after church today. We're all going to go eat lunch. But you're going to eat lunch, and pretty soon you're going to be hungry again. Right? You're going you're gonna to have some water, and pretty soon you're going to be thirsty again. The things of this world don't satisfy. And, and even if you go to look for things like drugs or, or alcohol, you may get that high, right? You go to drunkenness, getting that, you may get that high, but you always come down, and you always want more. The things of the world always leave you wanting more of the things of the world. There's never that satisfaction, that fulfillment. And so that's one of the things that we've got to understand about who we are as human beings. We were created to be fulfilled by the one eternal God. And you will never have that fulfillment through the things of the world. You will only find that in God himself. When we chase after the things of the world to fill that eternal need, it leads to depression. It leads to fear. It leads to anxiety. It leads to doubt. It leads to frustration. Whereas when we go to God and we're fulfilled by Him, there's peace, there's love, there's joy. Those are the things, that's what it means to be created by God in His image, right? We need to be fulfilled in relationship with the one true God and in response, we glorify Him. God the initiator, we respond by glorifying Him. So that's, that's in a nutshell, that's the beginning, okay? That's what God created. When God created human beings... He created us to be in that kind of a relationship with Him. And obviously, we just read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. We know that that relationship with God, what God created, uh, was fallen, right? We know Paul's saying you've got to be reconciled to God, so we know something happened to bring a break between God and mankind. We call that the fall. When God created Adam and Eve, uh, He set them in the garden. He gave them tasks. He gave them work to do. He was in relationship with them. But Adam and Eve rejected God and the purpose for which he made them. You see, God gave Adam and Eve one law when he put them in the Garden of Eden. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's one tree. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. That was the one law he gave them. But Adam and Eve, they were tempted to disobey that law, right? Satan comes along. And in Genesis 3, 5, we see the temptation that Satan, Satan lays before Adam and Eve. And Satan says, for God knows that when you eat of the tree, the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And Adam and Eve came to believe the lie told to them that God's law was withholding something good from them. That was the lie. Satan saying, Adam and Eve, God's given you this law. He doesn't want a good thing for you. He's withholding something good because he knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him. So they believed this lie that God's withholding something good from them. So as a result, they believe that they could be like God. And what this means, I think, as I've been thinking through this, praying through this, I think a good practical understanding of what it means that Adam and Eve thought that they could be like God is they thought they could reject the law that God had given them and they could determine for themselves what was right and what was wrong. That, that's really the sin that Adam and Eve are struggling with here. They reject God's law and they decide for themselves, I'm going to determine What's right and what's wrong? This is pride. That's what we do. This is pride. So in this pride, they reject God's purpose for them, 
and that they sought to glorify themselves rather than God. They say, this law, we're going to reject that law, we're going to eat of this tree, because we think that's going to be better for us than what you have created, God. So that's the fall. That's what we talk about. And guys, we are Adam's descendants, right? We are part of mankind. Each one of us has inherited that same sinful nature that Adam demonstrated in the beginning. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6 says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. You see, in some way, each one of us has believed the lie that being submitted to God's law is a bad thing. Each one of us has believed that if we submit ourselves to God's law, good things will be withheld from us. And as a result, we reject God's law, we consider ourselves our own God, and we consider that we can set for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good for me and what is not good for me. And that is that sinful nature that we inherit from Adam that each one of us live out each and every day. So, as a result, not one of us is innocent before God because each one of us has broken God's law. Each one of us has rejected God just as Adam did. We've all sinned and we've all sought to glorify ourselves instead of God. And guys, the the bad news about this is Romans 6.23 says that the wages of this sin is death. Isaiah 59.3 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that, you so that he does not hear. So we know from Adam and Eve when they were in the garden, after they sinned, God sent them out of his presence, right? So when we think about death, yes, it's a physical death. We all, each one of us, will die one day. Every one of us will. But there's also a spiritual death in that we are separated from God. Those are the wages of sin. And in uh, John 17, 3, Jesus defined eternal life as knowing the Father and knowing the Son. So in other words, Jesus was saying eternal life is being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his Son. That's eternal life. We often think of it as this floating in heaven forever and singing songs. That's not what eternal, eternal life is being in relationship with God, which starts even here on this earth right now, if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so eternal death, conversely, means that you are not in relationship with God. It means that you do not believe in that and that you are separated from God in your sins. You are under the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. And in fact, uh, in Romans 5, this is in a separate letter that Paul wrote, he says not only are we separated from God, not only are, are we destined to die, but he says in our sins we are considered enemies of God. Guys, this is our state. The penalty of our rejection of God is to be put to eternal death. That's the only thing that would satisfy God's punishment against us because God is just. You see, He is righteous and He is holy and He is perfect. And it's not that He's just angry at us. It's that when we sin and when we break His law, that sin cannot be in His presence because He is a just God. And He's a just God, which means because He is just, the the penalty, the, the crime that's been committed must be punished. So as a result of Adam and, Eve's, as, and Adam and Eve's sins, they're sent out from the presence of God, they're separated from God, and we as well are born into this sentence. Paul summed it up in Romans 5, verse 12. He says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men 
because all sinned. That's the state we find ourselves in. We have a sinful nature that abhors submission to God, yet our ultimate fulfillment is found only in relationship with God. We're dead in our sins. We're separated from God. We're guilty before God. We are God's enemies, and we're deserving to be separated from Him eternally. Well, thank God the story doesn't end there. Thank God that's not where He leaves us. You see, God is just, but God is also love. 1 John 4, 8 simply says, God is love. And out of His love for us, He sought to reconcile us to Himself. He said, out of His love for us, He was not content to allow us to be eternally separated from Him. And instead, out of His love, He begins a plan of reconciliation. Going back to 2 Corinthians 5 now, 2 Corinthians 5.18 begins, All this is from God. God is the Creator. God is the one who gives man life and breath and everything else. And God is the one who reconciles us to Himself. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul writes, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. So as we just went over, our sins separate us from God, and it's in his justice and righteousness that God cannot simply overlook our sins and just bring us back into his presence. Right? I mean, think about this in a, in a worldly example. Think about a judge. Right? Think about a circuit court judge, a trial court judge, and we know there's guilty criminal defendant coming before him. No question he's guilty. He's stolen $1,000 from somebody else. And what if this man comes before the judge and the judge simply says, I see you're guilty. I see you've done it. No question about it. Evidence is clear. But I'm not going to punish you. Just know, know you go free. Let's say another man comes before, before the judge here. He says, yeah, I've murdered somebody. I did it. No question. Judge just says, oh, go free. It's no big deal. I mean, all of us would say, wait a minute, that's not just. There should be some punishment for the crime. At least the money should be restored to the person from whom it was stolen from. That's not just. Well, in the same manner, we can kind of understand the fact that God's got to punish our sin. Right? There's a justice there. He's got to punish our sin. But, but he, verse 19, he's saying that God is not counting their trespasses against them. But it's very important to, to understand, Paul doesn't say that God is simply overlooking our sin. Paul started that verse with two very important words. He says, in Christ, our sins are not counted against us. You see, it's only in Jesus Christ that we can have forgiveness of our sins. Paul says in verse 14 that, that Jesus died for each one of us. In verse 21, and this is really a foundational verse to Christianity, he says, for our sake, the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So because of God's justice, if we were ever to be reconciled to God, the penalty for our sin had to be paid with death. That is justice. And you see, we cannot pay this penalty because we ourselves are under the penalty. We ourselves can only pay, we can't even pay for ourselves. The only way that that debt can be satisfied is if we are simply eternally separated from God. Because our sins have kept us from God. We can't deal with those. So there must be a pure sacrifice, one that has not been condemned to death. And knowing that he was our only hope, Jesus, God, takes on flesh to come to this earth to pay that sin. 
That's what we believe as Christians, right? And, and to think about the astonishing humility of God taking on flesh to come to this earth. It's in this same way that we as Christians need to understand how to love this world. I mean, think about this. Scripture says, by whom and for whom all things are created, talking about Jesus Christ. The God of the universe who created all things looks down upon us and says, I love you. I'm not content for you to be separated from me forever. And so I'm going to do what it takes to reconcile you to myself. So he steps out of heaven and he becomes a human being. This is what we just celebrated at Christmas. This is what's so astonishing about Christmas, this humility. Jesus, the God who created everything, humbles himself to be a little baby, to be dependent upon other human beings for his own life, right? His parents have to feed him. They have to clothe him. They have to change him. This is the God of the universe. He's got to learn how to walk. He has to learn how to talk. He has to live a life on this earth. And it's not for him. It's for our sake. It's amazing, this, this fact that he takes on flesh. And Jesus comes, and even though he's tempted, he lives a perfect life. He never breaks one of God's laws. He doesn't try and steal God's glory. He doesn't try and take it away from him. He, he doesn't believe, he doesn't doubt God's goodness. He doesn't say for himself, I'm going to make my own laws, I'm going to reject those. He's 100% man, but he lives a perfect life. And, and, and as a result of that, he never comes under the penalty of sin. He himself never comes under the penalty that has to be paid by each and every one of us. He's spotless. He's without blemish. He's perfect. And as a result, he's the only one worthy to make the sacrifice for us because he himself, having never sinned, was not subject to the penalty of sin. So that's what Paul's saying here in verse 21. For our sake, the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's the knew no sin part. And even though innocent, for our sake, Jesus willingly subjected himself to death to pay the penalty for our sins. You guys are all familiar with the way Jesus Christ died, right? He was crucified on a cross. Before that, he was whipped, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was all of these things, laid bare. This is what we deserve. That's the wrath of God the Father being poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. Each one of us deserved that. That's what, that's what was due us as a result of our sins. But as a result of Jesus taking that, that penalty, being treated in that way, being crucified, being put on the cross, his death was for our sake. And the Father accepts Jesus' sacrifice. And we know this because three days after Jesus is dead and buried, he's raised again to life. It's the resurrection. The Father accepts Jesus' sacrifice. And guys, Paul says in verse 14 that all have, Jesus, one has died, therefore all have died. He goes on to say that because Jesus has died, we've all died. This means that we are joined together in Jesus' death. And what this practically means is that when Jesus looks at us, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and we believe that his death and his resurrection and all this thing was for our sake to pay for our sins, when Jesus looks at the death that Jesus Christ paid, he sees us being put to that death. He sees our penalty being fulfilled. We are joined together with Jesus in his death. And, and as well as our penalty being paid, it also means that our sinful nature is put to death. But not only are we joined together with Jesus Christ in his death, we're also joined together with Jesus Christ in his resurrection. So we're raised to life with him again. 
So now it's possible to realize the purpose for which we were created. Paul says in verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We can now be in relationship with God once again. The work of reconciliation has been completed. We can, now again, we can once again trust in His goodness and delight in Him. We can now humbly submit ourselves to God. We can accept the truth that God is God and we are not. And of course, if any of you know any Christians, we don't do this perfectly, right? We, we have to live this repentance out day after day. Each and every day, Jesus tells us you've got to take up your cross daily. We've got to walk this thing out and continually humble ourselves under God and under His law. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? That's what it means. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we keep God's law perfectly. In fact, that, that was tried for a very long time, and it didn't work. And then the law only, showed us, only realized, it showed us that we, in fact, are sinful. So it's not that we keep every law. It's that we are forgiven and that we believe in Jesus Christ who did keep every law. So we're reconciled to God in that. And in Christ, in Christ, your sins are paid for. In Christ, you are set free from sin and death. And in Christ, God's justice and love are satisfied. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only in Christ that we are reconciled to God. This is the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we believe as Christians. And if you're a Christian today, this should excite you. This should be a reminder of what it is that we come together for week after week. We come together, we sang these beautiful songs here this morning. They're wonderful. To proclaim the truths of God. To proclaim the truths of Scripture. That's what we sing for. And, and the wonderful part about this is it's God's love is, is really what we're singing about. Listen to a couple of these verses that really drive home the point that this is God's love that we're talking about. In John three sixteen through 17, many of us could quote this by heart, but in John three sixteen through 17, uh, it says, this is Jesus talking, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Ephesians 2, 4-5 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 1 John 4, 9-10 In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is it. This is what we come together and celebrate week after week. This is the truth that has saved us. This is the truth that has restored us to relationship with God in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that this is accomplished. And that's the first thing I think Paul's wanting us to understand. We, we understand this ministry of reconciliation. This is what he's saying. Be reconciled to God. He implores us, be reconciled to God. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, I encourage you today, be reconciled to God. 
If there's anything in you that this, you have questions about this or you have anything that, that spawns a, man, I don't know, that, that seems crazy, but, but maybe. Don't just squash that. Don't just kill that. Talk to somebody about that. Seek me out. Seek another person in this church out. Seek somebody out that you know or trust. Please, don't let this just go by. Please listen to that, that voice inside of you. So that, that, can, that, that kind of gives us an idea of what Paul's saying the ministry of reconciliation is. And this second point that, that we want to look at today is, is really more for the church, for those of us who have received the ministry of reconciliation. We've got some responsibilities here. You see, even though the work of the, the ministry of reconciliation is complete, the administration, the application of the ministry of reconciliation is ongoing. And that's our responsibility, church. That's who God works through us to bring this ministry of reconciliation. Uh, look again at, at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, and just see how many times Paul stresses this. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our purpose, church. We, we are in relationship with God, that we have been restored to relationship with God, and from that we glorify God. We receive the love of God, and in response we glorify God. That's our purpose. And Paul is saying now, for us as the church, our purpose is to bring the message of reconciliation to this world. I mean, Jesus gave us the Great Commission before he ascended to the Father. Romans 10, 4, uh, Paul writes, How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. And Paul says in, in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, for the love of God controls us because we have concluded this. And the thing that we've concluded is the message of reconciliation, which we just talked about. But Paul says it's the love of Christ that controls us. Paul says that because we have faith to believe in this ministry of reconciliation, because we have received the love of God, he's saying let that love control you into ministering reconciliation. And another word that, that other translations use other than controlled is to compelled. We are compelled by the love of Jesus Christ into this ministry. The love of God is active. It's active in your life. It will have an effect upon you. When you have received the love of God, that love should compel you to bring the, min the ministry of reconciliation to the world. That's who we are as Christians. That's who we are. That's our function, our purpose. And with that same love that we defined earlier, that love that's been poured out upon us. I mean, we've got to remember this, guys. We once were enemies of God. We once were separated from God. And all too often in the church, we get into this whole, this whole desire to become insular. And we end up pushing people that aren't like us away. And we don't want to spend time with people that aren't like us and that don't believe like us. And so we end up creating these social circles and everything else that's all just composed of people who think like us, who believe like us. When we do that, we are not living out our function. 
right? When we do that, we're not living out the purpose. We are not having anyone to minister to if we just stay all within ourselves. And if we put walls up around this building and walls up around our lives and we don't let anybody in, we're not living out this ministry of reconciliation. I mean, so think about that. With the same love that God came after you, He took on flesh, He came to this world, He stepped out of heaven, stepped out of heaven and came to this earth for you, are you telling me we've got to step out of our own comfort circles and get into some uncomfortable situations to get around people that don't know Jesus Christ? That's what we need to do. That's why we're here. And, and in fact, Paul's saying if you've received the love of God, you're going to be compelled to that. We've been, this isn't in my notes now, but we've been studying 1 John in our college and career Sunday school class. It, is, it has been great. It's been a really refreshing look, but it's a very black and white book. And John says, if you've received the love of God, you are going to love the law. If you've received the love of God, you're going to obey the commands of God. And right now for you, church, for me, as I've been studying this and looking at this, this is convicting. It's time to evaluate our lives, to look at what we are spending our time on. What are we spending our money on? What are we pursuing in this earth? Because even though we've been forgiven, even though that simple nature has been put to death, we are still capable of falling into the lie of believing that the things of this world will satisfy us more than the things of God. And we can end up getting into that, that place in life where we just slip back into not being compelled by the love of God, but just being insular, being walled off from the world. That's not what we're here for, guys. That is not what we're here for. And in fact, Paul says in, in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Implore. The definition of that word means to call upon in supplication. I didn't know what supplication meant, so I looked that word up too. Supplication means to ask humbly and earnestly of. So Paul's saying here that we should earnestly and humbly urge those who are separated from God to be reconciled to God. Are we doing that? Right? Are we doing that? Do you love those who are separated from God? Do you implore people to be reconciled to God? Are you compelled by the love of Jesus Christ into administering the ministry of reconciliation? This is the time to ask the Holy Spirit to really examine our hearts. Is this what we're living our lives on? Joseph gave us a great encouragement today. He talks to us about the love of God from 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things he challenged us with this week is that each one of us would pray and keep our eyes open and look and see, is there anyone around us that maybe we've just been walking by? These guys, they're on a college campus. So Joseph was saying, man, I walk by a lot of people. But there's one person in particular that the Holy Spirit's putting on his heart. And he's going to go after this week. He's just going to go say hello. Hey, what's up? Is there anyone as you look around and put that challenge to all of us, church, as we look around, is there anyone in our lives that could use the love of God? Remember John 3:17. He didn't come to this world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Is there anybody, not that you could go to and say, hey, you need to start living your life better. Hey, you need to start following the commands of God right now. That's not the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is, I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to love you. Here's the love of God, and you're reconciled to God. And once you've received the love of God and experienced that, in response, you're going to glorify God. So the love of God meets you where you are first, and that's what changes you to begin to follow the commands of God.
We've got to keep, we can't put the cart before the horse in this message of reconciliation. Paul says that we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors. We're the official representative of heaven to this earth. That's what an ambassador is, right? He represents one nation to another. He goes and he lives in that other nation, not to become like the other nation, but to represent his home nation. His personal preferences don't matter. He, he doesn't come in and say, well, you know what the home nation said, I need to be saying this message, but I don't really agree with that. So I'm going to say this message. It's not what an ambassador does. He understands the message of his home nation. He goes to a foreign nation. He lives there as a representative, and he proclaims the message of that nation. Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ. You have been chosen as an ambassador for Christ to declare the message of reconciliation. So guys, I want to encourage you to devote your lives to this ministry of reconciliation. The stakes are so real. God is making His appeal through you to the world. Megan and I have met many people who have said the reason they don't believe in God is because of the way the church has treated them. That's real. They weren't representing the love of God. I don't know what they were representing, but that's real. The stakes are real. We've got to represent the love of God, not a, not a false gospel. And guys, think about this. The only reason God is delayed returning, the only reason Jesus is delayed coming back, the only reason we're still here is so that others may hear about this ministry. In 2 Peter 3, 9 and verse 15, Peter, Apostle Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then he says in verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He waits so that more and more can hear about this ministry of reconciliation. He waits so that we can, as ambassadors, make His appeal to this world. He waits so that we will implore those who are separated from God to be reconciled to God. We've got to get going on that, church. The praise band would come. So in conclusion here, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you to consider these things today. Consider these truths that you've heard today and, and just ask God, what would you do with that? I implore you to be reconciled today. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, this is the verse right after what we just studied. Paul writes, now is the day of salvation. And Paul encourages us to flee in humility because there are so many pitfalls. It is so difficult in our own logical human minds to make sense of all of this gospel stuff. It's so hard. And so if you've got doubts, it's okay. Talk to somebody about them. Bring those questions. Bring those doubts. And for church, I just want us to examine our hearts. I want us to delight in the fact that we are reconciled to God. In Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. And I want us to think about how can we live our lives in such a way to implore the lost to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I love you guys. We'll be praying for you guys. And now, if, if you need to come, just the altars are open. We do this after every service. If you want to come and pray about whatever it is, if you want to sit in your seat and pray about whatever it is, that's fine. But if you need to talk to someone, if you want to pray with someone, I'll be right here. 
There are plenty of men and women in this church who would pray with you, who would love to listen to you, who would love to talk with you about whatever it is you're struggling with. And that doesn't mean just about faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, whatever you're struggling with. you got a sick family member. Come on, let's pray. We've got a good father who wants to hear from you. Well, let me close us out in prayer, and then there will just be a time if you want to come up and, and just surrender some things to the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness. We thank you so much that you have reconciled us to yourself. And Lord, I pray that each one of us today would understand the purpose for which we are created which is to be in relationship with you, which is to receive the love of God, and which is in response to glorify you for all eternity. Father, draw us closer to you. We just pray that we would hear from you and that we would rest in you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.